Today we think of the exalted Lord in Isaiah chapter 6. The first day of the week being the first day of the year in 2023 adds to the specialness, I think, of this day. When Sabbath is on the 7th of January, we feel we are into the new year already, but Sabbath on the 1st of January really feels like the beginning of a new year. As such, it is an extra special time of worship for us today. You may not be one for New Year resolutions, but you should be one for taking stock of your life as one year ends and another year begins. Here today, then, is an opportunity for us to make a fresh start, to leave our bad habits, our secret sins, our grudges behind us, in 2022 and make a fresh start with new intentions and behaviours for 2023. The sixth chapter of Isaiah, a standalone chapter, can help us in our reflections and intentions for this new year. In this famous chapter which contains the calling and commissioning of Isaiah as he encounters the exalted Lord Isaiah says three things. These three things would be really good for all of us to say in this New Year's Day. He says, Woe is me. Here am I. And O oh Lord, how long? John in his writings in chapter 12, uh, which we read today, makes it abundantly clear that the person whom Isaiah sees here is Jesus. He writes these things, said Isaiah, when he saw his glory, that's Jesus' glory, and spoke of him. Here's another clear prophecy then about Jesus, identified by New Testament writers. We have noticed the portrait of Jesus in chapter 7, as the amazing sign, chapter 9, as the great light. And here we come to think of the exalted Lord. But in coming to think of this wonderful chapter, quoted numerous times in the New Testament, an obvious question that we are asking is, why is this account of Isaiah's call in chapter 6? And we're right to think that chapters 1 to 5 are prophecies that Isaiah has given against Judah and they have come we would rightly think after his commissioning as a prophet surely Isaiah did not decide to go with that message of judgment of his own accord but that he had this experience of being commissioned and sent by God before he uttered those prophecies. We compare this account of Isaiah with the books of Jeremiah and Ezekiel who record their call to prophetic office in the first chapters of their books. Why defer this account then of his call to chapter 6? It's obviously intentional, but for what reason? I think there's three reasons for this deferral. Urgency is one of them. It's 
Such was the awful state of the moral and religious condition of Israel described in chapters 1 to 5 that the prophet launches straight in to the reproofs and warnings about God's judgment. The emotions of the writer are white hot. He cannot hold back from the message he's going to deliver. And so he defers this account of his commissioning to the sixth chapter. But having delivered such a message of doom and destruction, he anticipates opposition, accusations of lying, of exaggeration, of demoralizing the spirit of the people, of being a fanatic. He anticipates opposition to this message of judgment and so to counter that opposition, he gives this account of his call by God to deliver such a message. But a third reason is that there is hope in his call. Here is a man who experiences his sinfulness, but who repents and is forgiven and is then used by God and he holds out his own experience to the nation to be emulated by them. Yes, they are sinful now, but if we repent, we too will be forgiven. And be used by God in his service. Let's consider then this amazing experience of Isaiah. At the start of his ministry. And focus on these three words which he uttered. Woe is me. Here am I. O Lord. How long? In this new year then. First of all. On this first day of 2023, we're to admit our sinfulness. Woe is me, verse 5. The first words he speaks in this call experience are an acknowledgement that he is sinful. Woe is me, that is, condemned by God is me. But why does he say this? And what does it mean? Well, there are a number of causes why he utters this statement. It comes in response to an overwhelming sense of God's holiness that he experiences. The sense of God's holiness arises from the chant, the antiphony of seraphims, which he overhears as they sing in the heavenly temple, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Perhaps Isaiah was a priest and he was officiating in the temple. Or perhaps he was a worshipper at the temple precincts that day. Or perhaps this is a vision like Ezekiel received off the temple. But somehow he hears and is allowed to hear the words in the heavenly temple. The seraphims The spirit beings, the burning ones, burning in their zeal for God. They're not indifferent to God, but filled with warm affection and zeal for him. They're in his immediate presence. They are worshipping him. They are serving him. They know him, his character and his works. And with that knowledge, they say, holy, holy, holy. Some have thought their words to be an announcement of the Trinity, the three persons. 
Perhaps a better understanding of this utterance is that it is for emphasis. God is perfectly holy, supremely holy, completely holy, outstandingly holy. He's set apart, as we've been saying, from all else, from all others, because he is far greater. Not only in relation to sin and to evil, but to all things. God is supreme, glorious, and above. One setting apart in Isaiah's mind and experience was from earthly kings. King Uzziah had been godly. King Uzziah had been powerful. King Uzziah had lived long, but King Uzziah had failed morally and had now died. But the Lord exalted his holy in his reign. In his kingship, in his kingdom, he set apart from the weakness and mortality of earthly rulers. The supreme setting apart of God is indicated and emphasized in, in a number of ways within this vision or experience of Isaiah. One is in the repetition of the word fool. Everything in relation to this great God is full. Verse 1, the robe filled the temple. Verse 3, the earth is filled with his glory. Verse 4, the house is filled with this smoke, this expression of his presence. So holy is he, so great, so set apart is this God that everything connected to him is filled. A second evidence of his greatness is that there is no description of the Lord given by Isaiah. We read of God's throne, God's robe, God's temple, God's seraphims. We read of these items related to him, but there is no description of the exalted Lord himself. He's so holy, he is so exalted that words fail to grasp his being. His greatness. Isaiah says in the text, I saw the Lord. He says in the text, My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, but he never describes him. In the presence of such holiness, such loftiness, such being set apart, the prophet and we say, Woe is me. But what is it that he's saying? And what is it that we're to say in the the start of this new year? Prophet's utterance is specific, isn't it? In the presence of God's holiness, his greatness, he feels sinfulness in a specific way. In a new way, in a, in a way he hadn't felt when he sat with his cronies sipping coffee in the cafe. Or was among his family, but in the presence of God's greatness in this revelation. He feels specific sin in his life. I am a man, he says, of unclean lips. It's not his thoughts or his deeds that trouble him, but his words. He's no murderer or adulterer, 
But perhaps some of what Jerry Bridges calls acceptable sins, he's convicted of now. Some gossip, slander perhaps, half-truth, belittling, short-tempered retort. In the presence of God, he becomes acutely aware of the sinful speech of himself and of his peers that he's condoned and perhaps laughed at. But maybe the previous chapters help us in understanding what's really convicting him. A key sin that he's identified in chapters 1 to 5 has been in the public worship of the people. That they've come to God with carelessness and casual speech. Now in the very presence of that God, he says, I am a man who has worshipped badly, insincerely, carelessly, this glorious and exalted God. The seriousness of his situation is indicated by the stones underneath the door pillars shaking, symbolizing, as Alec Matthias suggests, that access is blocked to the presence of God because of the sinfulness of Isaiah. It's a daunting experience for a medical student to diagnose a patient in front of a consultant as she and her peers stand around the bed of the patient in a hospital ward. Could you imagine trying to do that? To vocally describe the symptoms of the patient, of the diagnosis of the patient, to suggest treatment for the patient in the presence of an expert. Here's Isaiah and ourselves as well in the presence of this holy God. And he says... And we say, woe is me. It was the common response of people in the presence of God, wasn't it? When Peter experiences that miracle of Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, he falls down acknowledging his unworthiness. Job experiencing God's speaking to him at the very end of that long debate recognizes how unworthy he is. In self-reflection at this time of the year, we can perhaps see the the errors of others, the, the vast moral decline in our nation. But here is a place for us to come at the start of this year to recognize our, our own unworthiness before God. Woe is me. And it's an incredible statement because Isaiah has climaxed his message to the people in the fifth chapter he's issued denouncements of behavior and waywardness by the people of of Judah and he climaxes that message of denouncing their behavior and lifestyle by six woes in chapter five And from verse 8 to 30, we read six times, Woe to you. But now, in the presence of this glorious God, he says, Woe is me. 
It's the sins of his lips that he acknowledges. The sin of insincere worship of the holy God. And surely, perhaps that is a sin that resonates with us. We can consider public worship an inconvenience to us. An intrusion in our time, in our week. And so we engage in worship reluctantly, half-heartedly. As we start this, this new year, we're challenged, we're encouraged to recognize the greatness of this God and to worship him with our hearts, our minds, our love. The first, the first assertion of Isaiah is, woe is me. The second assertion is, here am I. He offers his service. And as we think of this new year, here is, is something also for us to do. And what is it that makes the prophets offer his service in this way? Well, undoubtedly it is this vision of God's exaltedness. He is high. He is lifted up. High means exalted, sovereign over all creation, above all earthly thrones. He is the Almighty. King Uzziah was powerful. King Uzziah performed many works, but King Uzziah, now his life has come to an end. But here is the Lord. He is high. He is lifted up. He is the King who will go on, whose kingdom will never end. Lifted up refers to the praise of those who are in his presence, who exalt him and recognize his glory and his honor. The seraphims are full of zeal and worship for him. They cover their, their faces in, in reverence for him. They cover their feet out of acknowledgement of his glory and majesty. They sing his praise. And as Isaiah witnesses, the glory, the exalted nature of God. He says, here am I. When the question is asked, who will we send? Who will go for us? Who will be our servant? Who will take on this task instinctively without thought of his ability or inability? So overcome with God's glory, he responds by saying, here am I. I want to serve such an exalted God. The privilege of it, the honor of it, the opportunity of it. Here am I. Send me. Perhaps he's compelled too by the example of the, the seraphims. How zealous they are, how eager they are, how filled with burning love and devotion they are to this glorious God. How quickly they serve him with their wings and chant endlessly his moral perfection. They wait in his presence. They fulfill the missions that he gives to them. And now here is God offering to anyone this opportunity to serve him as the seraphims do. And Isaiah grasps it, motivated by the zeal and passion of these heavenly beings. No doubt his own experience of the grace of God has driven him to offer himself 
He has felt his unworthiness and his sinfulness, but he has also received the grace of God, that live coal taken from the altar of sacrifice, has been pressed on to the very point of his body where he felt his sinfulness. His lips received the coal, the sign of atonement being applied to him. And as a forgiven man, he offers himself to the God of grace and glory and salvation. Students studying World War I in Regent House uh, have to consider the, the recruitment of soldiers for the war. How did the, the government go around amassing armies to go on in such a prolonged conflict? One slogan used by the government in the First World War was, your country needs you. They wanted people to serve. As we start this new year, here's a few words for us to utter in the presence of the exalted Lord. Here am I. Are you being called to some form of service in 2023? This is the perspective that we're to have. To offer ourselves in the presence of the supreme greatness of God. If Isaiah had thought too much of the people, he probably would have never have served. They were murderers. They were idolaters, unjust, cruel, greedy. Read chapters 1 to 5. They'd forsaken God. If he had focused on them, he would never have offered himself. If he had focused on others serving and failing, he would never have offered himself. He was hurt by the behavior of King Uzziah. Uzziah had started off committed, godly, outstandingly, a great leader of the people. But he had sinned and failed and, and he was judged by the Lord. If he had thought of his own condition and, and unworthiness, he would never have offered himself. But in the presence of the greatness of God, the exalted Lord... He's overwhelmed by the absolute privilege of serving this God. It grips him and immediately, instinctively, he responds. Here am I. Send me. And everyone is called to salvation and life in Jesus Christ. Have we responded positively to that call? All of us are called to serve God in our homes, in our workplace, in our community. Let us serve him well in this year. Three men have the call of the church on their lives at this very moment to serve the Lord among us. Let us pray that they will make their decision not just in the presence of us and our problems or in past leaders or current leaders in their own sense of unworthiness, but in the presence of the exalted Lord. As I studied this passage and wrestled with it, I wonder and pray, and I want you also to, to wonder and pray with me. If God will be calling among us in a further way, 
Not just in the way of coming to salvation. Not just in the way of fulfilling our roles within our home. But calling men to the ministry. Just as he called Isaiah here to be his servant. Perhaps there are men in our congregation that we could begin to pray for. That God would show them, that he would show us if he has called them to the ministry. That we could pray in this new year that from among us here will be men, perhaps women to call to mission work, ministry, service. The third thing he says is, how long? How long? He, he admits his sinfulness. He offers his service. And lastly, he asks about his suffering. O oh Lord, how long? Isaiah is stunned by the mission that he has given by God. This was not what he had in mind. It was a difficult mission. A hard mission, an unwanted mission, ripening people for judgment. By being God's prophet to the people, bringing his word, sent by God to rebuke and warn the people, and their response of not listening or changing increases their guilt and ripens them for judgment. It was bad enough that they were sinning, but when their sin is pointed out and they reject that message, their guilt is increased. What a mission. What a role to play. Their rejection of this message will be total. Their eyes, verse 9 and 10, their ears, their heart, indicates a comprehensive rejection of God's word. In chapter 28, we, we read how people assess the sermons of Isaiah. We think they're wonderful, but the people of his time thought they were simple. They were suitable only for kindergarten children. Chapter 28, verse 9. What a mission he was given. Not one a newly ordained minister would want to receive. We want good listening. We want good response. We want encouragement. But Isaiah, a young Freshly ordained minister of Christ is given a hard, difficult ministry to perform. And so he asks, O oh Lord, how long? And the answer is, 43 years. Gabby Logan the sports TV presenter describes the total devastation within her family when her 15-year-old younger brother died suddenly while playing football with his dad in the back garden. That was not what she expected in her life. And what a lesson for us today. Here was Isaiah humbled Forgiven, offering himself to the Lord with all his heart. Brilliant, we would say. A long and a fruitful ministry must await such a man instead. He's given a long and a hard ministry. A difficult and discouraging work to do. But it was God's work. It was God's call. 
It was God who sent him. It was not his mistake that made it hard. It was not his abrasive personality. But it was the people who refused to listen to his message. And so at the outset of this year, as we respond to the exalted Lord, as we give ourselves unto him, as we offer him our service, this year might be very different from what we expect, not through any fault of ours, but through circumstances which God appoints for us. Let us admit our sinfulness then. Let us offer our service. Let us ask about our suffering. O Lord, how long? The chapter ends with hope though, doesn't it? The holy seed is its stump. Yes, Israel will be devastated. Israel will be exiled. And we'll think of this this evening in chapter 4. But from that stump, there will be a remnant. And from that remnant, the Savior will come. It ends with hope in the God of grace and power. And as we begin this year, some facing massive problems, difficulties, challenges in our life and family, in our workplace, in our community, in our finances, we go forward in the strength of this God who can bring hope from situations which are hopeless.